0: Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. buddy of mine just texted me and said, don't forget baseball, keep the politics out of baseball, too. Yes, amen, yes. Uh, it, it, it's, oh yeah, I did say Juliet, not say, thank you, Robert. I, I said Lake Juliet and I meant Lake Sinclair uh, earlier. In, in any event, sorry, yes, keep the politics out of baseball. You know, interestingly enough, um, there was a study, what, three, four months ago that... Uh, Baseball viewership has gone back up, and NBA viewership has declined as it's perceived as more political. The more political a a sport is, the less viewers it gets. And as NBA has gone full woke, its viewership has declined pretty dramatically around the country. As an aside, as an aside, I, I have substantive things to talk about. It's my friend texting that got me distracted about politics and baseball. Friends, we must discuss the national tragedy that is the USFL. You may not even know what the USFL is. That would be a football league that, as best I can gather, Fox and NBC subsidize in order to show some semblance of football, uh, while football is not on the air, which should show you and tell you how dominant the NFL is. In fact, what, in, in 2022, 89 of the top 100 most watched things on TV were sporting events. Right, no, 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 it, it was uh, 97, and 89 of those were NFL games. That shows you how dominant NFL is to culture, The the, the sport that has tried after the kneeling stuff to get out of politics. The USFL is this, it's apparently football, but it's really bad football. And I watched last night as the Pittsburgh Maulers, using the Pittsburgh Steelers colors and no relation to the Steelers, played the New Orleans something. And the New Orleans something was the home team and they played in a virtually empty stadium there may have been two dozen people in the stands, all of whom were related to the players. And it turns out, this is why this thing is so terrible. Uh, So the, the USFL plays home games in stadiums far removed from the teams. So for example, the Houston USFL football team plays in Memphis, Tennessee. And the New Orleans USFL team its home games are at the University of Alabama-Birmingham's football stadium in downtown Birmingham, Alabama, which explains why there was no crowd there. I mean, there was nobody there. The U, the, the XFL, that's the Rock's new football team, that they're, they're shaking things up. They, they were in soccer stadiums. Every home team played in their hometown. They had a huge crowds. There was a lot of energy. This is like peewee football. If the if the XFL is the minor league of the NFL, the USFL is like the minor league of the minor league. It's like the high school football team. So you've got uh, the NFL is dominant and college football, and in some parts of the country it's reverse. College football more dominant than the NFL. But those are number one and number two. XFL is trying to be the minor league. I don't know where the USFL fits in all of this, but the game was not a good game. It was not a compelling game. Crowd noise was clearly fake because there was no crowd to cheer and yet you heard the cheering instead of having the camera on the wires that over they had to use a drone they didn't even have a budget for an overhead camera they had to use a little drone it's it was terrible football too every time someone did anything it's like they fell over in an injury i i have no idea no disrespect to the players god bless you for trying to keep me entertained i was not entertained the greatest entertainment was knowing that the USFL exists as pretending to be something for Fox and NBC to have coverage of sports when there's no sports to watch. Even baseball and hockey took off last night. I I would have rather watched the grass grow than that game last night. It was not a good game. And the New Orleans home team, home field advantage, turned out to be Birmingham, Alabama. Just that's pathetic. I realize people like football. I like football myself. But I think we can give the players a little bit of a rest and training, and this fall we can pick it back up. Instead, baseball and hockey program. By the way, as an aside, I wasn't going to turn this into a sports segment here, but I might as well for one more minute. How are we still having hockey games? We're just now getting into playoffs. It is April. The snow has melted. The ice is melting. I still, for the love of God, cannot understand how Miami, Florida has a hockey team. Have you been to Miami? It does not snow in Miami, and yet they have a hockey team in Miami for all of the transplants from up north. In fact, it was known I think they had a, an Islanders game, a New York Islanders game in Miami, and the entire stadium was full of Islanders fans. Why? Because all the New Yorkers fled to Florida. And now there's a rumor that Georgia's going to get a hockey team. again. I don't mind. I'll go to the games. I root for the Golden Knights. They're in the playoffs. It gives me an excuse to go to Las Vegas without gambling. I can go watch a hockey game, but I can't drink there because it's all Anheuser-Busch, and I don't like Bud Light to begin with and definitely won't be drinking them now, but – I still don't understand. How do you have hockey? I mean, the season will end like on my birthday after Memorial Day this summer. We'll still be playing hockey games in the summer. It makes no sense to me. Never has. Okay, now I can move on to more important stuff, I guess. I'm going to label this for Phillips Sports tirade. How about that? Now, I'll move on. Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia. Spoke at the Republican National Committee meeting in, in Nashville, Glenn Youngkin and others. God's antidote to baseball, Philip is telling me. That's what hockey is God's antidote to baseball. They end about the same time. I mean, we'll be getting into the World Series sometime in November, and this hockey season will just be wrapping up, too. Nonetheless, Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, spoke to the Republican National Committee in, in Nashville. Glenn Youngkin from uh, Virginia did as well, subtly, separately, uh, without coordination between the two, they were making the case for moving on from Donald Trump. Uh, Brian Kemp, more explicitly, he didn't use Trump's name, but I do find it notable that if you want to win in Georgia in 2024, you probably want Kemp's help. And Donald Trump burned a lot of those bridges. Now, if he were the Republican nominee, Kemp would obviously, I think, prefer Trump to Biden. don't want to speak for him, but Republicans' policies would probably be better than Joe Biden's policies. At the same time, Donald Trump lost Georgia in 2020. And I know there's a fringe element who says it was stolen, but it wasn't. And then all of Donald Trump's candidates, save for two, lost their primaries in Georgia in 2022. And then of the two who won, one of them was self-funded and loaded and wasn't going to lose to the pathetic Democrat who ran against him. The other was Herschel Walker, and he went down in flames exactly as I told everyone in the primary he would. And still the Republicans in Georgia decided to nominate him. I, I don't know what's in the Republican water these days. I used to be an elected Republican. And I don't know what's in the water these days, but it was so obvious with Herschel Walker in Georgia in the primary that he was going to get his butt kicked. The floor would be mopped with him nine ways till Sunday. I mean, I told people exactly what was going to happen. I described the ads they were going to see. I'm not a prophet. It was just so obvious. And exactly what I said would happen in the primary happened in the general. And uh, voters completely turned against him. I know Christian female voters who held their nose twice to vote for Donald Trump. And they said, I'm not voting for a dude who held a gun to his wife's head. I don't care what she says now or not. They refused to do it. It was obvious. But there's this core strain of of people who voted and they couldn't care less. It was him or nothing. And some of them think it was stolen from him. At some point, you gotta do better and get better candidates. Stop just relying on celebrity. I mean, just just for for those of you nationally, just for perspective. Donald Trump nominated a, a pushed a gubernatorial candidate, a lieutenant gubernatorial candidate, secretary of state, attorney general, insurance commissioner, uh, senator, you name it. They all lost in Georgia except for one of them. You need Georgia in 2024 if you even want a chance of winning the presidency. If he lost in 2020, it wasn't stolen, whether you think it is, and if you do think it is, all of his candidates got wiped out in 2022. That takes Georgia off the map for 2024 for for Trump. At some point, you do have to do the math. I went to law school to avoid the math, but you got to do the math. You got to win Arizona. He lost it. You need to have a competitive chance in Nevada. He doesn't have it. You need a competitive chance in Wisconsin. He doesn't have it. You know who does? DeSantis, Haley. They all outperformed Trump in those states in general election contests against Biden. Brian Kemp's point, a man who withered, I mean, Donald Trump spent more money to beat Brian Kemp than he spent to beat Liz Cheney or anyone else. And Donald Trump lost. Brian Kemp won. You might want to listen to the popular Republican governor of what has become a swing state who has the potential, if you listen to him, to take it out of contention altogether for the Democrats and get it out of being a swing state again. And his point is jobs, the economy, focus on what works and good governance, not grievance. So the Republicans need to figure out how they're going to navigate around the situation. Mike Pompeo has decided he's not even going to bother. Mike Pompeo has decided he's, he's not going to try to run now. Here he is this weekend. When you made that decision, uh, were you thinking about how what lane you would take and how you would go up against your former boss, former President Trump? If you look at the latest polls, yeah. he's up you know exponentially on the nearest competitor. Did that factor in? No, not at all. Uh, this is a deeply personal decision for Susan and me and, and our son Nick and his wife Rachel. It wasn't about what this would look like. And, and, and frankly, this, this race I hope isn't about people. I hope it's about these ideas. These are things since I was a young soldier that I've been working on, right? The fact that we're losing our military edge, the fact that uh, we spend, uh, we're on pace to spend $2 trillion more than we take in, $2 trillion in additional deficits. These are things that I care about. We were thinking about, can we impact them? Is this the right time for us to go seek the presidency, to go try and work on these? And we just simply came to the conclusion this wasn't this wasn't the moment for us. It's would be hard for Pompeo, much like Pence and Haley, frankly, to have to answer why you, not your boss. But also, uh, Haley has been able to lock up a lot of the votes of people who are concerned with foreign policy before Pompeo could lock them up. He's a very nice man, uh, but it doesn't. It, it, it never seemed like it was a good fit for him to run for president. The question is, who does he back? Uh, there's rumor he may realign himself with Trump. You know, a number of Republican senators have now come out from the South and aligned with Trump, and and people are looking at this and say, "What about Tim Scott?" It's no coincidence they've done this after Tim Scott announced. But here's the the simple calculation: you you need to understand this calculation. Uh, a lot of the senators who have come out and said they're supporting. Trump, They don't really care one way or the other, but they know there's a penalty if Trump is the nominee in a way there won't be with the others. They expect that the other Republican nominees, should they win, will not be as punishing to them for having back Trump than if Trump becomes the nominee, there will be a real penalty. Their public support doesn't necessarily mean there's private support. This is what makes people cynical in all these ways. But the GOP is going to have to find a way to navigate forward on these issues. I mean, it, this is just the bottom line. Whether whether you support Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley or Mike Pence or none of the above or someone else, at the end of the day, it's still an electoral college game. If you lose Georgia and you lose Wisconsin and you lose Arizona, you can't win the electoral college. Some of you have said, well, we should make Trump and DeSantis the nominees. DeSantis can be vice president. You can't do that under the Constitution. The votes for the state of Florida don't count in the Electoral College if the presidential and vice presidential nominees are both from there. So that takes Florida's Electoral College votes out of contention. You need 270, and you're down by Florida. And you probably lose Georgia if it's Trump. And what about Arizona? There's a math game at the end of the day. The passions of Donald Trump's voters are not enough to get the majority of the vote in the GOP, but you don't need a majority. You need a plurality. It will be for the other voters of the other candidates to decide, are they so committed to their person they can't go with someone else and possibly see the way to Donald Trump? I'll tell you what the polling shows, whether you believe the polling or not right now, the polling shows Trump is the most vulnerable of the Republican nominees in 2024. So the GOP, if it's with Trump, They're going to have to try to focus him on the future, which he tried this past weekend in in Nashville. He tried to focus on the future and the rest of the reforms he would bring that he didn't have time in his first four years. That's a starting point for him to get past 2020 and focus on the future. But if he does think 2020 was stolen, how is he going to stop the steal in 2024 when Biden controls everything? When Trump controlled it in 2020, then he thinks it was stolen. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. My goodness, the left-wing freak out over no labels. Speaking of 2024, so there's this group. Um, it is a bunch of moderates, Republican and Democrat, uh, mostly Republican, who don't like Trump. Uh, they have roped in some additional moderates from the left. And they are furious with—the with the, the Democrats are furious with no labels, this moderate group, because they're raising money to get on the ballot in all the states. And the Democratic polling shows that it would hurt Joe Biden. Uh, they, they don't want this this moderate group. You would think Joe Biden might want to moderate some of his positions, but he doesn't want to do that either. You know, the polling out there, for example, on the EV issue is a big red flag for Joe Biden moving forward. Josh Kraschauer at Axios has this. New Gallup poll released Wednesday shows America's widespread reluctance to embrace electric vehicles. Only 4% have one. Just 12% more are considering one. 41% say they'll never buy one. A separate Pew Research poll showed 55% of Americans oppose phasing out gas-powered cars and trucks by 2035. Only 43% support it. The problem here is that Joe Biden had an opportunity to moderate his positions and has chosen not to. So now you've got this third party group that's trying to draw moderates in. And and the, the the thinking is that if they didn't exist, Joe Biden will get elected. And with them, Trump or DeSantis could get elected. The Democrats are horrified. Well, try being a little more moderate then for independent voters. Hello there. It's Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877 877- Nine seven three seven four two five. Coming home during the summers uh, from Dubai when I was a kid, we would land in, so to get to the states from Dubai in the nineteen eighties. Seven forty sevens and the like. They they weren't as efficient as they are now. Like now, you can take a triple seven from Atlanta, Georgia, to Dubai nonstop. When I was a kid, living in rural Louisiana, we'd go to the airport in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And we would typically fly to Atlanta on Delta. Occasionally, you'd have to go through Houston or Dallas. Usually, we'd go to Atlanta. And then from Atlanta, we would either go to London, Amsterdam, Brussels, Paris, or Frankfurt, usually Amsterdam or London, and then from there to Dubai. So, on the way back, go Dubai, Amsterdam, Atlanta, Baton Rouge. When we would land in Baton Rouge, and on our way to the airport from uh, rural Louisiana, on our way back to Dubai... We would always stop at McDonald's. We would stop at McDonald's for a very important reason. There were none in the Middle East. And we were a McDonald's, not a Burger King family, in large part because of the french fries, which in the 80s tended to have been boiled in beef stock, uh, flash boiled very quickly. There is a secret to how McDonald's french fries were so addictive is they would boil them very quickly, Uh, and then they would fry them in beef tallow, not just vegetable oil. Uh, So, oh, my gosh, they were incredible. I mean, they're still great. A McDonald's French fry, uh, when cooked right and straight out of the fryer, is hands down better than any waffle fry you will ever get at Chick-fil-A. But if they've been sitting for a while or they get soggy, they're just not as good. The burgers have never been fantastic. Like, let's just be honest here. Between McDonald's and Burger King, the flame broiled burger of Burger King has a little bit better flavor. But I got the sauce spot for McDonald's because when I was a kid, we would when we landed in Baton Rouge, our very first stop, uh, having come back from Dubai, is McDonald's for a burger and a Coke because you also could not get Coca Cola in the Middle East in the 1980s. Why? The rumor was too many Jews and Mormons on the board of directors, not, not, not making that up. That was, that was why publicly you were told you couldn't get McDonald's or you couldn't get Coca-Cola in the Middle East. Jews and Mormons, the, the, the Arab government were like, nope, not going to do it. Well, that eventually changed as they found Coca-Cola is far superior to anything else. You get Pepsi, but you couldn't get Coke. They, they ultimately decided they liked Coke and they didn't care whether there were Mormons or Jews on the board of, of Coca-Cola. They wanted Coke and Well, Coke has now become the dominant seller in the Middle East. Pepsi was all you could get when I was growing up. And it wasn't even Pepsi. It was actually Pepsi that tastes like Coke. It wasn't the same Pepsi. Nonetheless, McDonald's, there there actually is a method to my madness here. Y'all are like, what is this about Erickson? well, McDonald's has decided it's going to improve its burgers. According to Chad Schaefer, who's the chef, the senior director of culinary innovation, We found that small changes like tweaking our process to get hotter, meltier cheese and adjusting our grill settings for a better sear added to a big difference in making the burgers more flavorful than ever. The upgrades apply to the Big Mac and the burger and the cheeseburger, double cheeseburger and the hamburger. Now, I don't know the McDouble burger and the hamburger, two different things. The improvements were first made to burgers in international markets and have now arrived in Los Angeles, Seattle, Phoenix, and Las Vegas, will be available nationally by early next year. The changes follow other improvements to the menu. So uh, they got now fresh beef for the Quarter Pounders. Uh, They've got a crispy chicken sandwich, which I haven't had, but a couple of friends have said it's still not that great. But they're, they're making small changes. Now, I'm intrigued because I do have, as I said, this soft spot for McDonald's. I'll tell you what my go-to meal is. I don't like pickles on my – I don't like cheese on my burger. I'm sorry. I know this comes up with my staff. I'm a little off. I'm not a cheeseburger guy. I'm a hamburger guy. So I go to McDonald's, and my go-to meal is two burgers, no pickles, extra ketchup, and a medium fry. And I'm intrigued to see. If they actually really do upgrade the burger by doing it that way, yeah, I am i have a soft spot for it. And the bun, let's just admit, the McDonald's bun is fantastic. I digress. We need to move on to other stuff. Let's talk about, well, what the New York Times did. The <laughs> You know what? Before I do that, I'm going to let Eddie save me from myself. Eddie, welcome to the show. How are you?
1: Eric, how are you doing? Good. What's going on? Well, first of all, I'm, one of my proudest uh, accomplishments in life is that I haven't eaten at McDonald's in over 25 years. Wow.
0: Good for you, man.
1: Yeah. Um, here's the local uh, daily blood boiler is there's a House committee on the judiciary going on in Manhattan today over crime in New York. And, uh, you know, Jim Jordan's leading it, and Nadler's there, and Adam Schiff is there. So, um,. um Jim Jordan has a witness. It's a mother who lost her child to crime, and she feels like New York just kind of turns a blind eye to the crime. And uh, a, a touching moment is she's, she's talking about the last moment that you close the lid on the casket, you know, that you'll never see your kid again. And it's very compelling. You know, it's very emotional. Um, the next person to speak was Jerry Nadler. Jerry Nadler has a witness who's talking about the crime statistics in all these states and cities that are higher than new york per capita they're saying there's eight million people in new york and the per capita um, you know murder rate and crime rate is lower it's almost like you know they've got um more room to for these for these violent crimes because they have more people and it's just ridiculous and then um of course adam Schiff, he speaks and, he, and the first thing he talks about is how New York's doing such a great job with crime because they just indicted Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, what is going on with this?
0: Okay. So the Democrats, you, you need to know the Democrats are peddling these statistics that actually uh, red states have higher crime rates, um, have higher murder rates, and stuff like that. Uh, the, the problem here is that while, for example, uh, let's say. Georgia is governed by Brian Kemp, a Republican, uh, Savannah and Atlanta are not governed by Republicans. They're overwhelmingly Democrat areas. There's something else here that you're not supposed to say. And with a devil may care attitude, I will, uh, in urban areas filled with young black men, you tend to have higher crime and gun rates. That's just the truth. Chicago, New York, Atlanta, Savannah, New Orleans, um, Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, It tends to be uh, if you are uh, not black and not in uh, areas where gangs are, you tend to be safer. The problem is that in New York City and San Francisco and Chicago, the violence is not contained. You get accused of being a racist and it's what they do. Eddie, this is a great call for this. Uh, you often, by the left these days, get accused of being a racist for saying things that are true that they don't like. The right focusing on crime in New York City, the left says, "Well, there are more gun crimes in in Republican states." Yes, but in those Republican states where there are high crimes, they tend to be in Democratic cities among uh, urban non-white populations in gangs. Uh, Black-on-black violence in this country generates more murders than, than others, and it tends to be young black men killing young black men in gangs, and that is true. There is a fundamental difference, though, and the left is using statistics and screams of racism to hide the actual point. In New York City, when Rudy Giuliani was governor and when Mike Bloomberg was governor, you could be in Manhattan in Central Park and not be scared. When de Blasio became mayor, I think I said governor mayor, and as things spiraled under de Blasio into the present, with Alvin Bragg refusing to enforce laws in New York, Central Park is not a safe place to go. New York City is not necessarily a safe place to be. There are parts of Atlanta, Georgia, day or night, you should not go. And there are parts of Atlanta, Georgia, where during the day you're fine and at night You got to be concerned there are parts of houston texas you know don't go the problem is people who are in those areas are victims of crime regularly but in parts of houston texas it's perfectly safe in san francisco the entire place tends to be overrun with crime and and there's a, a heroin needle epidemic and the like all over the city There's not a place where you can be safe from crime in San Francisco, unlike a Dallas or a Houston, where you've got Democrats in charge, but you kind of know where to go and where not to go. I live in Macon, Georgia. Macon, Georgia is the geographic center of the state of Georgia. And there are neighborhoods in my city where you would be a fool to drive day or night. The city actually had pretty good crime uh, under control until we had a mayor a, a number of years ago who instead of getting rid of gangs, got rid of a gang task force and stopped counting gang crimes and said, hey, we don't have gang violence and make it anymore. Well, you did, you're just not counting it. That's the other issue here that the left tends to forget is that in a lot of these areas like New York and San Francisco, they're just not counting the actual crimes anymore. For example, the San Francisco police no longer count shoplifting as a crime. And the New York Times ran a story about how shoplifting is a bigger issue in Dallas, Texas, than it is in San Francisco. Well, you damn right it is Because in in Dallas, Texas, they actually count the shoplifting as crime. And in San Francisco, they don't. That's why there's such an effort to rely on statistics and not the lived experience of so many Americans. The media wants to cover the lived experience of every transgender person in the country to show you that Republicans are bigots. But they don't want to cover the lived experience of any victim of crime because their statistics would be proven to be covering up what's actually going on in the country. There are parts of this country where crime has gotten out of control across cities, Chicago, New York, San Francisco. There really aren't any safe places anymore in those cities, New Orleans, a city I love in my home state has been run by Democrats for a very long time. There are issues of police corruption and the like. It's a somewhat unique situation. But it—the crime everywhere. Washington D.C. They had a murder by um, the Kennedy Center the other night. Normally a safe area of town, not anymore. Washington D.C. crime spread throughout the city. There are no more safe areas. You used to be able to know, hey, don't go to this area in New York or in Washington and you'd be okay. Not anymore. That's the fundamental difference the Democrats try to hide behind when they cover statistics and say, oh, well, murders through the roof in these red states. Well, yeah, in certain areas where the police and, and normal people don't go and they're infiltrated and filled up with gangs and poor neighborhoods, yeah, there's a lot of crime. And those Democrat run cities don't do anything about it. It's not a state issue, it's a local issue. New York and Washington, Chicago, San Francisco, Los Angeles. Now, doesn't matter where you go, you can be the victim of a crime. And that used to not be, including under Democrats. But now they've gotten these George Soros-funded district attorneys and mayoral candidates who don't want to enforce the law, who hate the police. The police have packed up and left, and the whole city's turned into a third-world hellhole. And the Democrats would rather complain and drop statistics than acknowledge that they themselves have— Exacerbated the problem. And the reality is, the Democrats, the party that has made a habit of sharing the quote unquote lived experience of people to tell you how bad the Republicans are, are now having the tables turned on them, where you have the lived experience of residents of these cities. And the Democrats' response is, well, the statistics say it's so much worse somewhere else. It doesn't matter how bad it is somewhere else when you've had to close up the coffin in which your child's body is in. But the Democrats would rather quote statistics. Now, let me quote for you the BOGO offer from Eden Pure. They've got buy one, get one free going on right now. Eden Pure Deals. You used to have to go use the code Eric Bogo. Not anymore. You just use the code Eric and it changes with the deal. So you go to Edenpuredeals.com, you put in Eric Bogo. You buy one Eden Pure Thunderstorm, you're going to get another one for free. You buy two, you get two for free. You buy three, you get three for free. So fantastic deal from EdenPureDeals.com. Calm. Now, what is the Eden Pure Thunderstorm? It's an air purifier. It is filterless. You don't have to get a subscription for little filters. You just wipe it out on occasion. It's got electrostatic plates. Where it really shines, though, is odor elimination. So tobacco odors, smoke odors, pet odors, litter box odors, cooking odors, just wipes out those odors. You got a stinky rental car or a hotel room. You can plug it in directly to the wall or with a USB cord. You can Put one upstairs, one in your basement, one in your RV, and they just work to wipe out odors. It's EdenPureDeals.com. That's the website, EdenPureDeals.com. Your discount code is just my name, Eric. Buy one Eden Pure Thunderstorm, get the second one for free, EdenPureDeals.com. Discount code is Eric. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. This hour of the program is brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Wherever you are nationwide, reach out to them, FirstLibertyGA.com. They can help your business grow. If you're buying a building or building a building or buying a franchise, First Liberty wants to help you. If you need $750,000 or more, they might be a good fit. They make their own lending decisions. They don't rely on other lenders. They've been doing it since the 90s. They help businesses grow. FirstLibertyGA.com. Tell them I sent you. FirstLibertyGA.com. Y'all, so I mentioned in the first hour the – it's the insularity of, of the electric vehicle move, uh, movement and I'm getting just hate mail from electric vehicle owners because I was telling them about the friend of mine who's going to a funeral and and they want to explain to me that i'm I'm lying but I'm not it, it, this is the, this is the weirdest thing and this always happens when the EV topic comes up I'm not opposed to EVs I'm actually really impressed with Rivian, which is starting to, to build out in Georgia. Uh, I'm impressed with what Tesla has done. I, I actually am. Uh, right now, I, I, I wouldn't mind an EV because my, my Denali is is still in the local shop. They, they just – I don't know when they're even going to look at it. Um, I need to live closer to Jim Ellis or Rick Hendrick or somebody. The the, the, the dealer in my area, my goodness. It, nonetheless, I digress, but the, I, I'm impressed with what EVs do. And in some situations, I can see why they would be fine. But um, this friend of mine, if you weren't here, he's going to a funeral, and he's got a Tesla, and the Tesla is saying he needs 70 extra minutes just for charging on his route it's to a very rural part of the country. And the electric vehicle, no, that can't be true. There must be something wrong. I, all I'm telling you is, is the Tesla routing says it itself, and You people are trying to tell him the experience he's having isn't real because you don't go to rural areas. This is fundamentally the problem. The arrogance of the electric vehicle movement is they just think one size fits all for everybody. Only in communism is that the case. Uh, Jennifer Granholm is the energy secretary, and she might be the worst, smuggest spokesman for electric vehicles ever
1: we're watching those prices creep up especially the price of gas is there a plan right now to address that because if people are really fired up and angry about energy prices today they tend to forget about what could happen tomorrow first of all uh, on oil and gas prices and especially gasoline
0: created on a, oil is traded on a global market right I think what we have seen with this
1: war in Ukraine and the volatility of the oil markets, the decision by OPEC to not produce as much, that causes prices to go up, right? That means the global market is extremely volatile. So what's better for us? The better choice is to move to electrify transportation, because it is so much cheaper for you to operate an electric vehicle than it is to fill up your tank uh,
0: with gasoline. So the bottom line is moving to clean is moving to energy
1: security
0: moving to clean this is the woman who says well i drive on sunshine can we just acknowledge they're not a fit for people in rural areas we don't have the infrastructure i don't care if you want an ev if i lived in an urban area i would probably get a tesla or or you know Kia's is making some great strides with electric vehicles i'm, I'm not opposed But this idea that they're going to be a great fit for everyone, particularly for commuters who live out in the country and drive an hour to work, it's just – it's not so. And the delusion of just saying, yes, it is, yes, it is, yes, it is, is not going to make it so. When you're attacking someone's real-world experience driving an EV because you don't like the truth, that's your problem.